Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams. Today's guest is the cash flow expert and anti-financial advisor, which is awesome, and host of the Money Ripple podcast, which you should check out because he's a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. Chris Miles, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Why do you call yourself the anti-financial advisor? Because financial advisors suck. That's why. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There's, I know there's great financial advisors. You know, they have good hearts. They want to help their clients. Um, but I learned pretty quickly when I started out as a financial advisor 20 years ago that I was really just a salesman in a suit. So anyways, like I wasn't, I wasn't raised to be like this financial expert or anything like that. I was raised by hardworking, you know, good parents taught me good values. My dad was always about work hard. Your word is your bond you know, that kind of thing. My mom was always about following your dreams and your passions. You know, she was a painter. He was in the automotive industry. And so, you know, as a result, I, I, the one thing I, I noticed in their life that there was always something I didn't want to emulate was their scarcity around money, right? There's never enough money. Hey, we can't afford this. We think I am made of money. Money doesn't grow on trees, you know, you know, all those kind of things you'd hear about. And so as a result, you know, I said, you know, I want to have a different life. So of course I went to college because college is supposed to be the answer, right? But it wasn't long in college that I realized, listen, if I want to have real freedom, I got to have my own business. You know, I got to really mm-hmm. be a business owner. And, and uh, I was going to go into business consulting, but I figured I should have real life business experience before just getting an MBA. So I dropped out of college. I said, let's just take a break and just find some business to do to gain some uh, real life experience. And the first business that came up was becoming a financial advisor, not knowing that they take anybody off the street uh, as long as they could pass a test and they don't have a criminal record. You know, that's about it. And, um, and so I did that and I did that for several years. I stayed dropped out of college, never went back. And then after a while, my dad reached out to me, he says, Chris, when are you going to become my financial advisor? And mm-hmm. I said, well, let's talk. You know, I didn't think he would ever want to reach out to me because he changed my diapers. Right. So I wouldn't expect that I would be the guy that he would talk to. Well, and, and not to mention when we grew up, he was always very guarded about money, never trusted anybody, thought, you know, that you know, people were always just trying to take money from him. I mean, heck, he wouldn't even let me get a license for a while because he didn't want to get sued in case I ever got in a car accident as a teenager, right? I mean, that mm. kind of thing. And so he was like the miserly cheap, you know, he would say frugal, we would all say cheap, you know, the kind of guy, the ultimate penny-pinching saver, depression era mentality kind of guy. So long story short, I sit down with him. He shows me his finances the first time ever. He paid off all of his debt, including his house early, right? He'd done that. He was totally debt-free, saved up all this money in his 401k at work, like every good boy and good girl is supposed to do. And despite all of that, I had to tell him, I said, dad, listen, if you want to retire today at 61 years old, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long it's going to be before you run out of money. Hmm. Okay, Chris, that's not what I want to hear. What do I do? I said, I don't know, dad, you did everything right. Quote unquote, right? You did everything that I would teach as a financial advisor and it's just not enough. And it wasn't that he didn't save enough. It was just because everything that I taught as a financial advisor, I realized was kind of a lie. 
that uh, they tell you, well, you know, save 10%, right? I mean, there's even guys like Dave Ramsey out there telling you that if you save a hundred bucks a month for 40 years, you'll have a million dollars in the stock market. No, you won't. You won't have a million dollars in the stock market because it doesn't pay that high of a return. But people believe him because he just speaks a lot of arrogance mm. and confidence and, and basically tells everybody that if you, if you don't listen to what he says, you're an idiot, you're dumb, right? And, and there's all this judgment and shame that's in this financial world that, of course, doesn't make you feel any better when you're a business owner reinvesting all your money and trying to build this business to hopefully create some sort of freedom for you someday. And, and I get it because that's why I went to business. I want to control my own time, my destiny, my money, my freedom. I wanted all of that as an entrepreneur. Uh, so anyways, after realizing I wasn't going to help my dad at all, um, it wasn't long that I met with a friend of mine who I trained to be a financial advisor, but then left to become a real estate investor. And I'm talking with him and he said, man, like we're making so much money. My dad's doubling his income as a professor at the local university. It's great. And, uh, and of course, I thought it was too good to be true. Mm -hmm. But I found out that wasn't the case, that it actually was reality. But as a financial advisor, we were taught to have blinders to things outside of the stock market. And so I started to take that red pill, that matrix red pill, so to speak, right? Look at this whole right. other world of alternative investments, things like real estate investing. Now we're have to deal with the tenants, the toilets, and the trash, you know, but, but actually passive investments. Mm -hmm. And later that year, not only did I quit being a financial advisor because I couldn't teach that anymore and stay in integrity, but then I actually went and started to do these things. And later that year, I was able to retire myself when I was 28 years old, much earlier than I thought was possible. Um, and because it was always about that passive income, having enough income coming in from your investments that allows you to be able to be work optional. You can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. So this was, was it all real estate? Yeah, real estate. I did a little bit with business as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one stream that helped speed it up a little bit was, it was actually a friend of mine. He, he was in a real estate game too. And he asked me, he said, Chris, right now you quit being a financial advisor. You're doing mortgages. Um, do you like doing mortgages? And I said, well, I like teaching people but I hate the paperwork part. And of course I went from, I was in the mentality before being self-employed, right? Like it was just, it was all me. I was that, you know, contractor working. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, but then when he said, well, Chris, why don't you find somebody who likes to do the paperwork? I said, that person doesn't exist. Who likes doing paperwork? What kind of nerd out there likes that? He said, Chris, you'll be surprised. There's a lot. So we, we, I ended up going to my broker saying, Hey, is there anybody in this company that would fit this description? And he said, yeah, that's Clark. Because if you have a name like Clark, you got you to be a guy that likes paperwork. Or you go on National Lampoon's vacations. One of the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so, so I found Clark. I said, listen, Clark, if I just send you clients, they're ready to go. But you basically do all the work for me. Will you pay me 50%? And he said, yes. And I said, great. That's awesome. So I would send them to him because he didn't have to do find the clients. I just would spoon feed them to him. And you know, I'd teach him about how you could take the equity from your house and invest it in real estate and make more with it, which is what I had been doing myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so teach people to do that very same, just one strategy alone was giving me just naturally from friends and family, at least a client or two a month on the mortgage side. And so mm -hmm. I send them over to Clark and a month or so later, I'm getting a check for like a thousand or 2000 bucks. I'm like, well, dang, this is easy, you know? And mm -hmm. so I started doing some things like that. Plus with my own real estate investments combined, it got me to the point mm -hmm. where literally I was working a couple hours a week you know, mainly just referring people um, if I'm doing all the work and the rest of it's just investments where somebody else is doing the work. How did you fare through the, uh, you know, through the Great Recession? Because that's what happened. A lot of people got pinched. They got caught. And I was down in Florida at the time and uh, I got to experience that firsthand where they were taking the equity out of their homes and, and just, you know, getting 
uh, going and getting mortgages for three more homes, you know, and just leverage to the hilt. Um, how, how did you fare during that? Or those who went through that, you know, they're hearing this and they've got the, the scars from it. Like, oh my goodness, you know, that was, that didn't end well. Yeah. That's why um, people, when they say, Chris, how did you retire twice by the time you're 39? Easy. Mm. You screw up the first time. <laughs> that's that's what happened to me. I ended up screwing up the first that. time, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's what happened to me. So 2006 is when I was, you know, work optional, financially independent. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 2007, I decided to come out of retirement because everybody just kept asking me, how did you do it? And mm-hmm. so myself and a few other guys in the real estate game, we decided to create a company to teach people how to do just that. And we were primarily focused towards real estate flippers, right? Guys are just mm-hmm. fixing and flipping properties. And, uh, and we thought this is awesome. Like, things are great. And I remember even like the partner and the company said, Hey, Chris, like, I want you focused here, cut off those other streams of income. So mistake number one, I started cutting off the, the other passive streams of income I had to kind of go all in, put all my chips into this company. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two was, is that even though I had cash, um, I wasn't tracking my money. And mm-hmm. as a result, the next thing I know, as I get into mid 2007, I'm like, wait a minute. My savings is dwindling quickly. I'm starting to charge on my credit card. What's going on here? Well, mm-hmm. when I actually start tracking my money, I find out I'm in the whole 15000 a month between my business and my personal expenses compared to the income I was bringing in. So mm-hmm. I was short about fifteen grand a month and uh, sinking quickly. And of course, I had equity in my properties. I did the whole thing that you know, Dave Ramsey would teach, which is pay off your house, right? Well, mm-hmm. I was doing that thinking... Well, I'm a mortgage broker. If I ever need money, I can always just cash it out of my house from that equity. So I was throwing an extra money into my equity of my house only to find out that mid-2007, banks said, you know what? We don't want to lend to business owners anymore. Sorry. And uh, all that equity was in my property got trapped. And of course, because banks started restricting everything, we started seeing the values of homes crash during that recession in 2008, 2009. Eventually, I foreclosed my house in 2009 uh, where they end up selling it uh, at foreclosing on it for about half the price that I could have sold it for if they would have accepted it, um, mm. but they wouldn't. So it had been just a ridiculous, uh, stressful time. And, uh, but it was perfect because m- my pain really became everybody else's gain because it got me to be creative, how to find money, but it wasn't there because I stopped teaching people how, how to get out of the rat race during that time because I was back in it. So I, I can't teach something I'm not doing. I just, I'm not a good BSer that way. Instead, uh, I started teaching people how to find cash because most of the thing people were saying in that recession was, well, how do I find the money? Or, and some of them would say, I would love to hire you to learn what you know, but I just don't know. I don't have the cash. But in the back mm-hmm. of my mind, I wouldn't say it out loud to them, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm sinking you know, where I have almost a million dollars in debt now. Uh, I bet you I could find the money because my situation is way worse than yours. So I would go back to them verbally. I'd say, well, if I can help you find the money, would you pay me? They said, yeah. And that's what I started doing. I started showing them how to find the money. And they're like, well, that's awesome. Here, I'll pay you now. And, uh, and I started creating a whole business around just how to improve people's cash flow situation, how to find money they didn't know they had, um, which I think is going to become another big topic again. Even though we're still in the transition point where everybody wants passive income, I think mm-hmm. we're moving into a place with inflation and kind of moving into more of a recession that people are going to say, how do I find money again? And so uh, mm-hmm. that's what I did. I was able to kind of pull myself out of the hole without filing for bankruptcy gradually so that by the end of 2016, I was once again, got enough passive income coming in and I was financially independent. This is great because we're simpatico in the sense that we both came through that and lost. Like yeah. I went bankrupt. It was 
bad. And so I think, you know, you, then I just heard you say, look, we just come through this and there's, you know, there's going to be, uh, you didn't say correction, but there's something coming. And those of us who went through it, like we're, we've got eyes wide open, like it's coming again. Mm-hmm. And the last time it hurt, we want to make sure that we're prepared. So what, what do you think is going on in the market? Well, I mean, we have the, I would call it like the everything bubble, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you see it, like what's going to crash? Because everybody says, well, was real estate going to crash? Is this going to crash? Is it stocks? Whatever it's going to be. The, the question is, what what became a bubble, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a, something that's a big, big bubble where it becomes just absolutely out of whack, that's usually the thing that will crash. And it usually surprises people. It's usually not what people think. So if people are all saying, well, I think real estate is going to crash. That's usually the thing that won't crash, at least not in the way they think. I do think real estate will have a correction of sorts, but mm-hmm. not a crash like we experienced last time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think stocks are definitely overdue for a crash. Um, big, big time. I mean, you look at it from 2000, March of 2009, all the way through 2021, that's a 13 calendar year period. Stocks went up. They just kept going up, up and away, right? Way, way higher than they're supposed to be on an average. I mean, when the average stock market is roughly about 7.7% right now, 7.75%. But but what we've seen is we saw like in that 13-year period go up about 14%, double that. You, You know that there's a correction coming for the stock market. So yeah, 2022 came down. Now 2023 has recovered some of that loss, but people are like, oh, it's over. No, 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 guys. That that's not how markets work and crash. They don't go straight down, just like they never go straight up. Well, except for that, you know, more than a decade time period, the market did go straight up. Um, so I think that you're going to see stock markets especially crash. I've been warning about that for years, and it's been overdue and still overdue. It's just delaying mm-hmm. the fact. The fact that the, the Fed's printed printed and pumped out so much money in the economy created an everything mm-hmm. bubble where everything just overinflated, right? Uh, prices are going crazy and everything else. Um, even the Feds are saying, well, I'm kind of worried about, you know, they won't say deflation, but they, uh, but they do say that, you know, they're not sure if inflation was really handled yet or not. So they're just kind of assessing, but it mm-hmm. kind of does make you wonder, did they overcorrect on their interest rates that maybe it does create deflation, which they're more scared of than inflation. You know, so mm. I, I think really the, the protect yourself right now, the thing that I've done is I focus on buying real tangible assets the real stuff, not the paper stuff, right? Uh, I'm not worried about buying a bunch of the things like, like stocks. I'm not buying crypto or anything like that. Anything that can be manipulated and and the price can go crazy, like all over the place. Anything that's volatile like that, I don't do. But that's mm-hmm. why I'm still buying into real estate or investing in something that's backed by real estate. Even if I don't have a property that I'm owning, I might have something mm-hmm. that's backed by a property where I can have ownership of it, just like a bank does. If you think about mm-hmm. it, banks... Banks don't want to go into real estate investing themselves, right? They don't want to own properties. They want you to own it and they want you to deal with it and just pay them, right? They just want to make their money and that's it. Well, I've kind of taken more of a similar approach lately where, yes, I have some properties that somebody else manages. So I have like property managers, stuff that manage my properties because I'm a horrible property manager. And that's mm-hmm. nice. I can get paid without doing any work that way. But mm-hmm. I'm actually loving to take my money and invest it with other investors, letting them do all the work and then just pay me a contractual rate of return of like 10, 12, whatever percent a year for that. So that's kind of what I've been doing lately. And I know a lot of our clients are doing that more so lately rather than mm-hmm. trying to just uh, go in and buy one big property or something like that. 10, 12 percent. Those are nice. Uh, those are nice returns. So silly question, but I'm going to throw it out there. Why does everyone need passive income? You remember 2020 when all of a sudden we were told we had some of our businesses were quote unquote non-essential. Right? Yeah, I mean, that right. was yeah. weird. 
I mean, it's still mm. weird to this day. I still think it was stupid and unnecessary, but I mean, think about it. The government could all of a sudden just say, you know what? Your business is shut down. You know, you got to mm -hmm. stay at home or whatever it might be. Right. And you're just not essential. Yeah. This one's essential, but you're not. I think if that taught us anything, that was like a warning. It was like a, it was like a shot across the bow, right? It was just like, here's a mm -hmm. warning shot to tell you that at any time you could be losing your primary source of income and you need to be prepared. And that's why you need multiple streams of income coming in. And I don't just mean like business streams of income because you never know what could happen there. But I love the fact you need passive streams of income because the truth is, is that your days are numbered. And I especially know this with, you know, we work with a lot of contractors and whatnot. The big thing that I always hear from them is just, you know what, I'm getting sick and tired of this. And sometimes it's by their thirties. It's definitely by the time they're in their forties. They're like, I already can see my future. My body cannot handle this. Mm -hmm. uh, even heck, I even have dentists that say the same thing because they're too busy going like this in people's mm -hmm. mouths all day long. The chiropractors getting rich off of them, like getting send their kids to college because <laughs> the dentists are in their bad posture and stuff. I mean, when you're in that kind of physically intensive role, mm -hmm. you you know that your days are numbered, and you don't. It's just like a sports athlete, right? You know that eventually your body just don't either one can't handle anymore, or two you just don't want to handle anymore. So you need something to get you out, something to escape that rat race that you have. And even if you make millions of dollars, I've got so many friends that make millions and millions in their businesses. And yet if their business were shut down today, they would be broke just as broke as everybody else because they don't mm -hmm. have anything else to fall back on. That's why like, even with my company money ripples, like I tell people all the time, I could shut this business down right now and I'll be just fine. You know, now some yeah. of my employees won't be, <laughs> but yeah. I can shut it down and I'll be okay because I've got multiple streams of passive income coming in that I don't even need the money in money ripples. Mm -hmm. But like our mission, we're here to help liberate people so that they can also become work optional this way, where they know if they go to work, they're doing it by choice, not because they have to keep paying the bills, right? That's mm -hmm. the big difference. That's why you need passive income. We'll continue with the rest of this week's show in just a moment. But first, do you have your copy of Steve's book, How to Double Your Business? It's for sale on Amazon for $37, but we want to give you your free copy instead. Just cover the $6.95 for shipping and handling. Get your free copy of the DYB book at dybcoach.com backslash free hyphen DYB hyphen book. Are there any other alternative investments? Oh, there's all kinds. I mean, uh, I, I usually like things that are more real estate backed because they're safer. Um, I mean, there's, okay. you know, I, we have some occasional opportunities where if, if it's not like in self storage units or commercial or apartment buildings and things like that, you know, even warehouses, sometimes we'll buy big old warehouses and that's been a good place to be able to have money in, but even just like car washes, you know, sometimes you can, mm -hmm. have, you can pull your money with other investors to have part ownership in a car wash. Uh, what many people don't realize is that you don't have to be the hundred percent owner in these things, mm -hmm. right? Just like I was a self-employed guy thinking that, you know, I just have to do everything myself and not realize I can delegate. It's the same thing with investments. You don't have to have all the money to fund a specific project. There's other people that want the same thing where you can pull your money together. You have a percentage of that, that profit as well as the, the ownership in that, that business. And so it could include the real estate and it could also include the business that the real estate is on, right? Just like mm -hmm. McDonald's. They say that McDonald's, some of their biggest values in the real estate, not just the flipping burgers part, right? Mm -hmm. So same thing here. You could do the same thing. Um, there's oil and gas. Oil and gas is another place you can look at as well where, you know, like I'm, I'm an investment where there's oil and mineral rights. So anything they pull out of the ground, it's, it, you got, you get it. Like you get royalties mm -hmm. off that. And those oil companies are actually paying you a lease for the land. So they're paying you rent 
And they're also splitting some of the profits when they, when they do their drilling. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that. Um, even raw land, like I have a business partnership where, you know, we, uh, I have partners that buy and sell raw land. They'll buy it at wholesale, sell it at retail. Um, and really they're using my money to buy it at wholesale, but then they turn around and sell it retail. And then those people will pay us back. Like we're the bank, like a 10 year mortgage or something like that. And so like in that one, I've, I've put in $350,000 and it's kicked off so far in two years, about 8,300 a month, you know? So it's, uh, it's been pretty good. Fantastic. Sure. There's, just, there's yeah. just so many options that, you, I mean, it, it's when you realize what kind of options you have, and, and I'll tell you my favorite right now is lending is just lending money because rates are so high with banks. There's mm-hmm. investors willing to pay you better returns of like 10, 12, sometimes higher percent just to borrow your money and pay you contractually like you are the bank. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, whether or not they, you know, there's profits and things like that. It doesn't matter. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. this is what they got to pay you because you're the debtor. And when you're, when you're the person that lends the money, you're in a higher position of getting paid back than even people that are investors that have the equity, that have ownership. A lend, you know, somebody who lends money is a higher priority of getting paid back if anything goes wrong. So mm. for safety's sake, I've actually been doing more lending, um, especially if I'm in like that, you know, what they call first position. It's like getting a, being on, mm-hmm. on the loan for first mortgage, same kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there's, there's really just so many options that when you start looking at the stock market and you're hoping and praying you might make five or 10% a year and you have to take all this risk. And it's like a bipolar ex-girlfriend that you never want to see again, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. Like you just, you laugh at it and think, well, that's all that financial advisor is going to offer me. And the reason that financial advisors only offer it to come back to why I'm an anti-financial advisor is because legally the licenses they have is not a license to give you financial advice. It's a license to sell you mutual funds or insurances or whatever it might be. There are so many better things you'd be doing with your money to make better income right now. Um, I'll give you a quick story about a, about a guy. Um, you know, he, uh, he actually was in the military, um, one of the top ranking uh, colonels or generals in his, in his state, in the National Guard there. And, and he had a million dollars he happened to save up in his retirement plan. And he goes to his financial advisor and the financial advisor says, well, great, you have a million dollars now. You can pull off 3% a year if you don't want to run out of money when, by the time you're dead. So if you want to ensure that your money lasts, pull out 3% a year, <laughs> do the math. 3% on a million dollars is $30,000 for a guy living in California. That's like being homeless almost, right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's homeless people yeah. that probably collect almost that much per year. And so he said, no, I can't do that. And so that's where mm-hmm. he started searching and listening to podcasts like this and everything else. And he found my podcast, the money ripples podcast. And, and uh, he's like, okay, that that's more like it. Let's see what I could do there. And, and as we worked with them, about six to 12 months later, his, uh, his million dollars is not kicking off 30,000 a year. It's kicking off 130,000 a year. There you so go. So it's not about how much money you have. It's about how hard you get that money to work for you, right? Mm-hmm. It's about how much income you can pull off. And traditional financial advising just doesn't have that answer. They really don't because they, it's always about how do I not run out of money? That's, that's what it's always about versus mm-hmm. how do I create enough income and cash flow from this that I really am free. And you can do it so much faster than mm. what you can ever do in the stock market, especially if the stock market goes down. I mean, you know, going back to my dad's situation, right? I mean, he, I mean, he ended up working until his seventies, you know, because of, mm. of what was going on. I mean, because I talked to him just a few years before the recession hit again, and of course, he was in the stock market with his four hundred one k. It dips once again. Just so you know, like the year two thousand, where the stock market was then, it took mm. people. If you look at the stock market, it actually caught back up in 2013, 13 years later. 
But because you're always paying fees on those mutual funds to pay for those advisors that did jack squat for you, what yeah. happens is that it was actually about 2015 when I finally had people that said, now I have the money I had back in 2000. 15 freaking <sighs> years. And my mm. dad was one of those casualties, right? It was just at that wrong time when the market swung, mm -hmm. wrong direction. And then he it was about mid-2010s. He finally retired in his 70s. And I'll tell you, I mean, I, I talk to him all, every couple of days now. I can guarantee that, um, well, I, I can know because he said it, but I mean, he's just like, he's alive, but he's not living, right? Mm. If that makes sense. Mm. Like he's mm. alive and modern medicine's made it well, but I mean, the guy can only get around with a walker. He has home health care at this point. I can guarantee if he could just go fishing one more time, that would be just make his day. He would probably die mm. a happy man, right? Yeah. But that hasn't been the case for him. You know, he hasn't mm. had that freedom. And every day that you waste, that you labor and slave away for possibly nothing, right? Because you're trying to live by what the financial advisors tell you you're supposed to do. That's just, mm -hmm. that's robbery in my opinion. Good points. Okay. So let's circle back real quick. We mentioned Dave Ramsey. So from your perspective, then a couple of questions that maybe come to mind are one is how much do you need to invest? But two, how, you know, what emergency fund should you keep on hand, right? You shouldn't pour it all in. You should keep emergency fund on hand. How much do you need to start investing? Okay. So what's the emergency fund you believe that you should keep on hand? And then how much should you, can you, what's, you know, start investing? Yeah. I mean, if you have your own business, of course, like I would keep more on hand um, mm -hmm. anywhere. I mean, if you've got a business with employees, I would keep at minimum and it depends on your industry too and what you know, what's going mm -hmm. on, but at minimum two months worth of expenses in your business at home, six months minimum. And if you're self-employed, I mean, I would say you want to aim for about closer to 12 months because you just mm -hmm. never know. I mean, even my wife, I mean, she even told me, she says, Chris, even though I know we got passive income streams coming in, I want 12 months of expenses that we don't touch ever. Yeah. So she basically yeah. wants 300 grand sitting around, right? Well, I told her, I said, well, I'm not going to let that sit in the bank and making point nothing percent. So I, I made a deal with her. I said, listen, like, let's do this. And, uh, and, I, and I teach a strategy with our a group called Infinite Banking. Um, ours is more max ROI, Infinite Banking, because there's a lot of different Infinite Banker type people out there. Uh, long story short, what is it? It's a tax-free supercharged savings account using whole life insurance as a savings vehicle, right? So instead of just having death insurance, which is what you get with normal life insurance, yes, it has a death benefit, but it also has a tax-free savings account that you can use anytime you want. Unfortunately, most insurance agents don't try to set it up to where you get a lot of money in that account because they get paid more if they don't. Because <laughs> the more money you get into that account, the less they get paid. Um, that's one thing, right? when I came out of retirement the second time in 2017, that's one thing I was pretty passionate about because even one of my best friends who did that strategy and I was referring clients to, he wasn't even doing the best job for them. He was still going somewhere in the middle where he gets paid a little bit more, but they, you know, but they still make decent money on it too. Uh, so anyways, uh, coming back to my standpoint, right? Like I had a policy set up on myself. I told my wife, Hey, out of that 300,000, let's keep 250,000 there. That's earning like five plus percent tax free while we keep maybe 50,000 local banks that we could walk into that day and pull out. Because for the life insurance, it might take me about a week before it transfers over and everything to the bank account. So, so I keep the vast majority of my savings in that, earning a much better return. Because let's do the math. Like my credit union pays me 0.1% right now, right? It finally went from 0.05 to 0.1. Thank you. But uh, if I do the math, 0.1% on 300,000 is 300 bucks a year. But then I get taxed on that. So really, I leave with like 200 bucks a year. 
where now, like now we have 250,000 earmarked inside of that life insurance. The rest of it we can invest with and do some things to make money twice on it. But uh, at least that 250,000, if it's earning say 5% tax-free, it means I'm making 12,500 plus the 50 bucks a year in my bank account that I get taxed on versus just 200 bucks that I walk away with to keep all of the bank account. So I make more money every year just doing it that way. And it's still, it's liquid. It's safe for her to use if we ever do have, have emergencies like that. So that's what I use. Um, I use that strategy. I teach all of our clients to do that kind of strategy as well. Um, in fact, we even teach them how to use that strategy beyond the emergency fund, where if you've got extra cash to invest, I think that was probably a question you might be leading up to, right? Is, you know, how do you know when you should be investing? Well, after you have this emergency fund, you got extra money left over. Well, now, then you can have some fun. Now, you can just invest money from your checking your savings account and go make money with it, like the stuff that we talked about making 10 plus percent returns, right? But the cool thing is, if you have this, infinite banking type of policy. And again, if it's set up the right way, which 99.9% .9 of the time it's not when they do it, if you set up the right way, what happens is that you can actually earn money in two places at the same time. Because you can earn money inside the life insurance policy, but instead of pulling the money out to go and invest it, instead you can go to the insurance company, ask for like the secured line of credit that doesn't show up on your credit report. There's no minimum monthly payment. They do charge interest, but you can borrow the money at cheap interest go and invest it. So you make money over here in your investment and they're still paying you all the money over here because you never pulled your money out. So you actually make money in two places at once. So if I put that into like a 10% of year investment, I might end up making like 11, 12, 13% a year over time using my infinite banking policy versus just using my bank account. That's with the line of credit fee. That's like the net gain because they're paying me five or 6% tax-free and they might you know, charge me about 5% or so for the loan. But if I use the cash flow to pay it back, the loan balance goes down, meaning that the interest they charge me goes down, while the interest they're paying me compounds and goes up. So you actually end up netting about a 1% to 3% return over time, plus like that 10% investment that you made. So that 10% investment now becomes 11 to 13% total return when you use that life insurance policy versus just using your bank account. Pretty cool strategy. You know, you could do it the long, hard way, um, which is what I did, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, going and, and, uh, and trying to create your own group. And when I vet, I, I look for track record. I like to see like how long they've been doing it. If you think about it, it's kind of like, have, if you ever got in for a bank loan, even if it's just to get a mortgage or a car loan, they always want to see things. They want to see, you know, have you been paying on time and how long you've been paying on time, which is really a, becomes part of your credit score, right? They want to know, do you have cash reserves? Do you have savings? Uh, do you, you know, do you, uh, you know, do you, uh, have, a um, like less uh, payments, they call it debt to income ratio, right? So are your debt payments low, much lower than your income so that you can afford to do it? So can you afford it? All that stuff kind of applies when I'm looking at investments too, because I'm looking at an investor, because when you put your money with somebody else, you're really investing in them more than just the investment, right? You're inv investing in the investor just as much as you are in the investment. So when I look at it, I'm like, well, how long have they been around? Because like you said, you gain a lot of experience and wisdom by getting your, your teeth knocked in in the last recession, right? Well, there's a big value in that. I, I, when I have investors that I look at investing with, I want to know they were around during that last recession and that they learned something ideally um, and they were able to come out of it stronger. And even when they go into different market conditions, they're almost more malleable. They're almost more flexible, right? Like they can be molded easier because they're, they're, they know that you got to change with the times quickly and not just be rigid, you know? So, um, you can't be stubborn when, when things go wrong. 
So, uh, so anyways, like that's a, that's a big thing I look at. I look to see like, you know, not just the investment, but I want to know more about, do they have extra funds? You know, if something goes wrong, what would happen? You know, what would they be able to do? So I like to look at worst case scenario. I like to even ask them, what was your worst investment? You know, I have one guy in my group, he's been investing for over 20 years uh, with other people's money. And I said, Hey, have you always paid investors back? He said, I'll be honest. There's a few times that we didn't pay all the returns we told them, but all of my investors have always got paid back at least whatever money they've invested. They at least got their money back. And I said, that's huge. You know, finding that integrity is a very important thing to find because when people are under fire, when they're under stress, sometimes their true colors come out and it's not pretty, right? You want to make sure you find the right people there. So it's not always easy. Um, you know, but again, I like to know that they're liquid. They got extra cash. Uh, it's also really important to know, do they invest in their own investments? Because if they just take your money and use all your money to invest somewhere, it doesn't make them any different than like a financial advisor, right? Because a financial advisor, they can take your money, they invest it, then they take their little broker fee on top. They make money whether you do or not. But if, if you knew that there's some financial advisor says, hey, I'm taking your money, but I'm adding a couple million dollars of my own money along with your money. So if you sink, I sink with you, right? If, it were, if, if they even had that system, which they really don't, um, that not very often, um, then you know, that would be pretty awesome. So same thing. Oh, they put a big amount of their money in so that they have a, vet, a real vested interest to make sure it does not fail. Because if it does, they lose millions, right? Um, I saw somebody where that wasn't the case with him. He only put in maybe 100 grand, 200 grand of his own money. So when he started losing investors' money, he just said, you know what? It's, it's, I, I don't even want to have to fight for this. I'm just going to let it go. It's not worth the fight for a couple hundred grand. Well, that's not what the other investors who rely on that need, right? So so again, that's, that's, that's just like a few of the questions and things I look at. I, I, very go, I go off a lot of intuition because I've noticed that birds of a feather flock together. I'm one of those guys that I like to be very transparent, open, and honest. You know, that's why I like, immediately start sharing my failures, right? But, uh, but that's the, the key thing is that you, know, you want to make sure you have people that are um, good integrity, good character, and they know what they're doing. They're not just playing around and I'll give you another example. Here's a bonus for you. Um, don't ever invest with people that are trying out new investments. <laughs> um, like I knew a guy that was really good at apartment buildings in Alabama. That was his specialty. But he couldn't find deals recently because market changed. So he starts looking at other things like, hey, what if I do hotel conversions? What if I do a coffee farm? What if I do this? What if I do that? And he's looking at all these alternative things that he's never had experience in. I'm not going to put my money to be somebody's guinea pig, right? I'm going to let them figure it out and then do it over and over. I want to me, boring is sexy. The more boring the investment, the better it is. The more that they've done it over and over, just like any tr person, person in their trade, you know, like, it's like someone like trying to hire someone who's not an electrician to say, Hey, will you do my electrical work? Oh yeah, I think I figured it out. You know, like I'm not going to do that. Right. Like you're going to end up dying anyways. So, you know, I'm going to want to make sure I have the right people doing it. So those are the questions I would ask if you're trying to do it on your own. Um, or you could do the easy way, which is you borrow somebody else's you know, vetted investments. Right. And, and I have a, a lot of my clients do that same thing. They're like, you know, Chris, who have you invested with or who are people that you've trusted? And uh, a lot of times I'll just borrow my, my network. I, I will tell you, this is, is finding a way to get lean, get liquid and get out. Um, so what I mean is get lean, like get lean in your business, get lean at home, you know, make sure that you're not wasting money. And the best way to do that is start tracking your money uh, on a weekly basis. I mean, it, in fact, I'll even report my company numbers to my whole company to see, right? So I'm letting them see everything. You know, if we're not profitable that week, they know it. You know, if we are, they know it, right? They know how much cash is in our accounts and everything. 
you know, I'm very open and transparent about that. I'm not saying you have to do that with your company, that it's up to you what you do with that. But um, my point is that I'm always trying to find ways to get more profitable, get leaner. And even at home, you know, sometimes people are great in their business and they, and they do a great job managing there, but then they go back home. They think maybe their, their spouse might do it for them. They may or may not be doing that kind of work for them uh, or doing that kind of uh, careful you know, uh, monitoring of their money. And you can lose a lot of cash. So start tracking your money is a big thing. So that's what I mean by get lean. Get liquid means how do you find more money, right? Um, how do you get that money out of prison? Um, I'll tell you one place in prison is the IRS. Um, that's one way you can also save money too, right? Uh, I can guarantee almost anybody I've talked to as a business owner is overpaying by at least five, ten thousand a year. <laughs> you know, just from strategy that they could use. Like for example, paying your kids. You can pay your kids for stuff. Um, I actually do Augusta rule. If you ever look up the Augusta rule, you could pay your yourself um, for a one day's use of your house. So, uh, so for example, like it might just be a quote unquote admin day because maybe you're not bringing over, you know, uh, your you know, your customers or clients, you know, into your house necessarily. Right. But you might have an admin day where you're getting things, you know, working on your business. You might spend time, you know, spend money on that because here's, here's why they call it the Augusta rule. If you know Augusta, Georgia, that's where they play the master's tournament in golf. Well, the IRS said, you know what? A lot of people like to rent out their homes during the master's tournament. So we'll make a rule that you can pay yourself, you could get paid rent to up to 14 days a year. So 14 days a year, so two weeks. So if you rent a house for one month, guess what? You're not getting that tax-free. You're going to get taxed rental income tax, right? But if you rent, only rent your home for 13, 14 days, all that money that comes in is tax-free. So say, for example, in your business, maybe once a month, you have your own admin day, quote unquote, right? You find a, a local hotel. Like I found the local Marriott in Salt Lake City. And uh, I said, hey, what would you charge me for your smallest room? Charging for internet, because I got to have internet access, obviously, even though I'm using it right now. You know, I got to have, you know, potential for catering if I want to have catering, even though I might not use it, but water at least. <laughs> you know, and I started asking just for the basic stuff in my house. And they said, that's $2,100 a day. I said, great. So immediately I started charging my, my like money ripples getting charged by Chris Miles, $2,000 for a day's use of my house. And that money is, comes to me tax-free. So if you do that just one day a month, that's 12 days a year, that's now you're getting paid 24,000 a year for using your house. And that comes to you tax-free out of your money. That would, that would save you, depending on your tax bracket, probably at least five, 10 grand a year right there. So there's all kinds of strategies. I'm not an accountant, so I'll put that disclaimer on there, right? But uh, absolutely. Yeah, you want an active accountant. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them are passive accountants where they just take your numbers and then say, here's your tax bill. Those are not the accountants you want. You want somebody who's more of a strategist than just a bean counter, right? That's what you really want. So that's what I look for. I look for those strategists, those nerds that way that, that really do a good job helping me find those tricks. Yeah. I mean, asking for referrals is a great way to do it. I know like with our, cl our VIP clients, we have about three different CPA services that they could choose from depending on their situation. We might match them up with somebody better. Um, but I mean, you can always ask, I mean, asking around to see who somebody uses, are they actually proactive? Like during the year strategizing, you can always ask that because that's something that most won't do. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's one way to do it. You know, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's it's, it's kind of a, that's the thing I've spent 20 years trying to do, right? It's just trying to, and even then, like, just like what you, the experience you've had, once they're that good, 
people start finding them and then they get maxed out because accountants are horrible business owners. A lot of times they don't know how to scale. And so the next thing you know, they can't handle any more, you know? So uh, I, we've had to go through a few accountants because of that very reason. So that's definitely one of the ways to get out of prison. I also say that don't get your money trapped in equity in your house. Don't try to pay extra on your home where you're paying off this low interest loan that you probably have at three or 4% or less. Um, don't do that. Don't throw your money in 401ks where it gets locked up. I've seen that happen a lot lately where people are you know, doing it because they, you know, for some of them, because they work for W2 jobs, they get the company match, right? But it's even worse when you're a business owner, giving your own company match is ridiculous, you know, because you get no benefit. You still have to pay taxes on the money anyways. It's literally just throwing money in to get taxed later, which I don't trust the government to tax us less in the future. We're already so low, historically speaking, for the last hundred years that asking to go lower would be, I mean, especially with the way the debt is climbing in this country, I would rather get taxed now and then get my money in a place that's tax-free, like what I have with my life insurance policies, right? Like then it's, it's, like a, it's ta- totally tax-free. They can't tax it. It's, it's out of their hands. So doing anything you can to do that, um, getting your money out of prison. And then when you get that money out, then you invest it. That's how I mean by get it out. Like get it out in places that actually generate passive income. You know, I think I'll just bring it back t- to your listeners, right? Just, you know, if you're listening right now and, and maybe you are at the point where you're saying, man, I don't want this to be my life forever. How long am I be stuck in this rat race? The good news is you don't have to be. Stop listening to financial advisors. Stop listening to Dave Ramsey's of the world. They're not going to get you out of, out of the rat race. They're not going to get you free. They can get you to zero, <laughs> but they will never get you free. And so the best thing to do is, is free yourself of that, you know, that in-the-box type of uh, money strategy that's really more to help pay them than it is you. And, and get yourself free. You know, find a way to, to really get your buddy working harder for you so now you can stop working so hard for money. I think that's ultimately the dream is buying that time back and being with those you love while they still want to be with you. You know, I have six teenagers right now and I could tell you, you know, that time is limited. You know, you only have so much time before they're already out and that it's all cats in the cradle and, you know, and you're crying because you could have, now you're at the point where you can finally enjoy them and then they already have their own life and they're too busy for you. So now is the best time you have to act. Now is the best time to make some changes so that you can have that life that you want. So Chris, this has been fantastic. I've got a couple pages of notes and there's so many areas here. I'd love to dive just deeper with you, but uh, I know you've been nursing a head cold and uh, I appreciate you for grinding it out and sharing so much with us for those who are going to follow up. What's the best way they should reach out? You know, two ways you could do that. One, you can go to our website, Money Ripples. Dot com. That's R-I-P-P-L-E-S. So moneyripples.com, or you can go to our podcast, the Money Ripples podcast. Money Ripples podcast. And then you have, yeah, what's the cash flow calculator? Is that right? Yeah. On our website, you'll see uh, one of the options on there. We talk, We actually have a whole thing on infinite banking, like I talked about before. But then we also have this cash flow calculator. If you're curious to see in your situation how much passive income you could create in the next year, um, you can actually put in just a few numbers in there. and It'll come out with a pretty accurate number based on the numbers and stuff that I used to run just mentally myself. Now mm-hmm. it's put into a calculator. So basically my brain's put into a calculator to figure out how much passive income you can actually create in your situation. Awesome. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Appreciate it, Steve. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.